This is the Grits and Grids podcast, a conversation with creatives from around the world about creativity, design, and all things in between. What's up, everyone? It is April 2019. And this month, I am joined by a bunch of amazing creatives and people who consult in the creative industry to talk about one thing that I think all of us want to learn more about, which is how do we make it rain? See what I did there? Rain. It's April. There's showers. It's springtime. I'm very funny. I promise. Uh, Anyway, this month, we are joined once again by Simon Manship. This is his uh, final session with us, but it's one chock full of amazing information and insights from a guy who is at the top of a global uh, advertising agency company. Um, we are also joined by the one and only Mike Jones, fresh off of his uh, Creative South conference here in Georgia. And then finally, uh, last but not least, we have Emily Ruth Cohen, the author of the book, Brutally Honest, which is a fantastic book for anybody who's looking to go from freelancing into owning a studio and maybe more. Um, This book is fantastic and she chimes in on her thoughts on how to make it rain. If there's one thing that I can boil this down to is that there's no easy answer to this question and I think everyone's probably nodding their head yes at this point. Um, There is no magic bullet, there is no one thing that you can do to get more clients. It is a mix of everything you do. And these three guests of mine will chime in and reinforce that in their own way. Simon being from the UK but running a new business basically across the world in different countries. Um, Mike Jones going from being a studio uh, professional uh, back into the creative uh, world of in-house design, which don't knock it. They are still clients in there, and those clients have to choose you, and they have to work with you, and they have to tell their other colleagues about you. And then finally, Emily Ruth Cohen, who has so much experience consulting with agencies uh, and studios, she has seen almost every situation. And the combination of these three folks should give you a pretty good idea of how you can start to make it rain more for your business, whether that's freelance, a studio, uh, or whatever else you're doing out there. So without waiting any longer, please enjoy the show and my three guests. So this month we're talking about making it rain, developing that business, trying to get those clients in the door, only the good clients. Um, uh, bad clients need not apply. Um, and so Mike, in your experience, uh, your vast experience, I would say, who do you consider the ideal client, uh, for you or the ideal project? Well, I think the ideal client for me is probably going to be, uh, I mean, honestly, I've taken small, small, uh, let's start that over. Mm -hmm. I got to gather my thoughts. Sorry. Start that over. No, no, it's no problem at all. So uh, when you're trying to make it rain for your business, uh, what, what do you consider your ideal client to be or, or ideal project, I should say? So I think for me, I like to take on pretty much anything that comes my way, but I love helping uh, ministries. I think uh, that's a, a blessing to be able to do that kind of work. But then I also love uh, small mom and pop all the way to, uh, you know, Fortune 500s. I can, I can manage any of it. I like the kind of established companies that are looking to up their brand or, or, or refresh their brand who um, have have a have a need to like say hey our, you know, our logo's getting stale we want to make a new one or we haven't had branding we didn't we didn't think branding was important at, in the beginning but now we do can you help us um, I, I really uh, like those kinds of clients best 
um, and, and, you know, in, industry type work is for me is more of like branding, lettering, illustration. Uh, that's where I like to, to use my time wisely and, and my skill set and doing that kind of work. So it seems like you, you have a pretty good niche in your mind uh, with regards to the kind of work that you want, especially for serve studios. Um, has that helped you attract that kind of clientele, whether it be from the branding side or from the ministry side? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the, at the end of the day, I want to serve people with the talent God gave me, right? So that's that's the easy part. And and I think that the attraction comes from the work that you put out there. I was told by a friend of mine one time, uh, Von Glishka, he's like, you know, put the work out there that you want to get. You know, So showcase that work, the, the type of work that you want to um, pay to do. And that's what I do. I don't, I don't show a lot of web stuff. I don't show a lot of UX, UI. Like, can, we, can I do it? Sure. Do I enjoy it as much as I enjoy branding? Probably not. I like to show the kind of work that I want to get. So that's what I do. Excellent. Yeah, we had Vaughn on the show not too long ago. He was a, he was a great guest. Love that. Yeah. So um, in, in your opinion, what, what has been the most effective methods for getting new clients or projects in the front door? I, I think word of mouth is the best the best uh, way to advertise. I don't spend any dollars hardly at all each year to to push my my company or myself out there. It's mainly do great work for clients, build mm-hmm. great relationships with the clients. So you know, not don't just do the work and be gone. Don't just do the work and check back on them once or twice a year. Like do the work, but get to know the person as the person, or get to know the company and the people that run the company, not just oh here's the logo we need. Thanks for the business. Next. Uh, mm-hmm. I do it like that. I try to get in there and get to know who they are and what they want, what they're about, what their vision is for their company, how we can drive it forward together and build a relationship. And that's what drives work back to me. It's like, we love Mike, we love his work, we love his attitude and, you know, whatever else they might enjoy. And, and what they'll do is they'll get a, a great product for me and then they'll turn around and they'll be chatting with their buddy one day and their buddy's company will need X, Y, Z. And like, oh, you know what? This is my go-to guy. Go see him. He'll take care of you. And, and that has worked tremendously for me over the last five years. That's great. So I have a, a maybe a little bit of an anecdote and, and you'll have to tell me if you or how you think about this as well. So I remember uh, I was about maybe like 15, 16 years old, man. And man, I was I was busting my hump to do such a good job at this bagel shop I was working at. And for like months, man, I killed myself, killed myself doing all this stuff, all this extra stuff that I wasn't that, you know, wasn't, quote unquote, my job. And then, you know, the time came up where I talked to my boss and he's like, hey, I just think you could be doing more. Man, I was dumbfounded. So, I, you know, I, I challenged him in, in the right way. And I was like, I got to be honest, I, I feel a little taken back because I do so much. And he said, like, what? And I started listing it all out. And he looked at me, he's like, I never knew you did that. Wow. And um, I think the same could can happen. In fact, I, I've actually heard it from time to time. The same can happen with you know, you could do so like, like amazing work. You can do fantastic work. You could do everything that you just said, know the client, get to know the client, so on and so forth. But if you don't ask or you don't put that bug in their head that, hey, the way I get my work is by people like you telling other people like you. Um, have you had to in, insert that bug and the answers, you know, just be honest, but have you had to or felt the need to like, just drop that little like, hey, you know, the way serve grows is by you talking about us to your friends. Um, have you have you experienced that? I've done it both ways. Uh, yeah, I kind of pick and choose when I think it's necessary. If I really know someone really well, um, and every time I'm around them, they've they're talking me up to whoever we're in conversation with, you know, like in a group setting. 
then those are the people normally I don't have to say, hey, man, will you recommend me to so-and-so? But if I get an, if I get a bigger new client on board and we, we have a really good project and it goes really well, you know, I might, I might, you know, say, Hey, you know, remember to tell your buddies, you know, where you, where you got this done or, Hey, if you got anybody, you know, anybody that it needs this, you know, pass them our way. We'd love to do the project. And, and yeah, so I think it, it varies in conversation, but of course um, mm-hmm. you definitely should put it out there if, if, it, if you see the need arise. And then I think the, the last question I have for you just to, get all that knowledge out of there is if you had to focus all of your energy on, on one tactic, would, would it be the word of mouth or is there maybe another tactic that you try? Cause word of mouth really does, you know um, it, it's a slow build. And, and honestly, if you're not getting word of mouth, uh, I don't want to scare you, but you're doing something wrong. You know, if people aren't talking about you, you got to find out what that is, I think. But is there like a media tactic? Is it maybe going to industry? Uh, maybe not creative industry, but if you're in a niche, for instance, um, going to, uh, for us, a restaurant industry uh, gathering is a very interesting tactic for us that gets a lot of traction. I mean, always, you know, go to as many conferences as you can that are there that make sense for you and your you know budget and time frame and family time and whatnot. That's a great way to get out there. And I think I'm, I'm not old, but I'm not young. I mean, I just turned 40, so I'm, I'm kind of in the middle, but I want to, I'm learning how to really use um, Instagram and Twitter properly to get, to drive traffic to me and what I can do and what I can offer. Mm-hmm. And I have several different buddies that have been helping me do that over the, the last year or so. And I'm learning more and more each day from uh, two or three guys that are, are really helping me. So uh, I think that that's going to be my next tactic to try to try to implement the most. Um, mm-hmm. but again, I still, I'm a firm believer in a handshake and a, and a word of mouth and, uh, and just doing good work for good people. And uh, I think it always comes back to you and, and, you know, I wouldn't be me if I didn't say, you know, keep, keep it Christ centered. And then, you know, he's, he knows where your heart's at and what you, what you need. And he's been blessing me left and right ever since. So, uh, I keep that going too. Absolutely. So maybe a handshake, do good work, a friendly hug around the neck every now and then never hurt either. You know, breaking bread. You know what? I mean, we're going to get into that. Have a meal with somebody, you know, don't just do the, do the client meeting, meet them over lunch, really just have a good conversation. I mean, there's, that's really valuable. Absolutely, man. That that taps into, uh, you know, really the driving passion behind Vigor. I mean, all our outputs that people see yeah. um, is one thing, but it really is centered on a belief that life's most unforgettable moments happen around food and beverages. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty magical thing when you think about it and not to be taken lightly. It shouldn't be. It should be one of your most important tactics, in my opinion. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks for chiming in on Making It Rain, Mike. That was the wonderful Mike Jones bringing some truth as always from a good soul and a good heart. Really appreciate him chiming in on this month. Uh, Up next, we have Emily Ruth Cohen, uh, the author of Brutally Honest, an amazing book for all of you creatives out there. She's going to let us know her thoughts on how to make it rain. All right, so it's April, and this month we are talking about making it rain. Um, I think this is something that not just design or advertising uh, businesses uh, struggle with maybe every business. They, how do we get more customers? How do we get more clients? How do we get higher quality customers? Um, so considering you authored this amazing book called uh, Brutally Honest, uh, for those listening, if you haven't picked it up, I've already bought like four copies and passed them around to our people. I'm like, read this, <laughs> read this immediately. It's amazing. Um, but I think you're, you're very well suited to talk about what that looks like. Um, 
So how do you suggest creatives or agencies go about identifying an ideal client for them? I think you first have to start at the foundation, which is to define who you are. I think a lot of creatives, the reason why they're so frozen in getting and attracting new business is because they all want to be generalists. And as a generalist, which is great, you get to do really cool, great work and diverse work, and that's what creatives love to do. And what happens with being a a kind of generalist is that you have no place to start from in terms of new business. So that's why everybody's frozen is that they don't know where to start because they can work with anybody. So I always mm-hmm. recommend that you first kind of evaluate your positioning. And just like every other consultant out there, I often recommend that you really should be specialized. And specialization does not mean you can't do cool work. It doesn't mean that you can't change. A lot of people think specialization means that you can't do all the other kind of cool work that's coming into your studio. It just means it gives you a focus to move forward and get the kind of clients that you want. So I would say the first thing is to really look at your specialization. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and to kind of focus on that a little bit first before you figure out new business. Because once you have a focus, then you'll know where to move forward. Absolutely. And and I I can attest to that. Um, Before reading the book, this is something that we had gone through, uh, mainly because if if I look at a lot of the uh, agencies and um, studios around around the world, really, um, you're right, they're they're generalists. And we were victim of that same mentality when when Vigor first started as well back in 2003. But there are some critical issues with, with a, a general practice that you yeah. ha- would be very hard to overcome. One, I would say, is the capital to market everything to everyone. Um, rare is the case that you have that kind of money. Um, two, human dynamics, they just don't, people don't think like that, even when it comes to an agency. They, they compartmentalize, they categorize. And yep. if you're the category of everything, you can't really own a place in someone's mind. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that makes a yeah. lot of sense, and, and I can raise my hand and say, she's right. <laughs> and you can also command higher. I mean, there's so many benefits of specialization. You can command higher fees. Um, you can really kind of adjust your staffing model to fit the specialization, so you don't need kind of unicorns anymore. You can really find people that are focused on the expertise that you're offering. There's mm-hmm. a lot of really great benefits, um, not only externally with clients, but internally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can staff better, like you said. So like, for instance, for us, I look for people that have a a passion for food and beverage who maybe have a history of designing for food and beverage. Um, Because what that means too, is if they have that passion, then not only are they passionate about creative, which we all are, but they also are passionate about learning about the nuances of that industry and what makes them tick, which makes them better problem solvers. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, you have to, I mean, most creatives do like to kind of have a diverse amount of work. So you still have to balance out a little bit of other things that are in the studio to keep them kind of just their creative juices flowing. But I do think there's a need to specialize. And again, it doesn't, it's not as limiting as people think. So it's definitely an awesome thing. And that's once you have your positioning, then new business is a lot easier to do, as you know, from with your business, because then you know your market very well. You know how to go after them. You know where they meet, where they, um, what they read. So you can kind of reach out to your market more effectively because you know exactly they have kind of communities and these communities mm-hmm. are now part of your community. So you exactly. can go to conferences they attend. You could speak at the conferences that they attend. You could, um, like you do, podcasts for that are addressed. You know, you can be participant or be interviewed or create a podcast that are addressed to your market. There is, um, you know, lots of thought leadership you can write about that can be posted on other sites that appeal to that audience is great. It's a great way to kind of get new business. And it's really the only way to get new businesses. Once you have that specialization, it's, it, it uh, opens up this amazing community of resources that now, you know, to go after. 
And that's a great segue into my next question for you is, so so now that we have our, our agency or studio positioned and um, we have a niche, we have a specialty that we really own and we dominate, what have you seen as being the most effective methods for getting new clients and work? Speaking. That's the one word answer. If you speak as an expert to your to your your market, you will be positioned as an expert. So to me, speaking is the number one way to get new business. Um, and speaking can come in all form, forms. You can do it on a podcast. I prefer conferences and events because you can make personal connections as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the second way, and maybe the one that's the least focused on, is just building love. I always talk about this, building the love which is you know all these people already. It's about staying in touch with them. I think creatives, they move from one client to the next. They're like, I'm done with that one. I'm moving to the next. And they forget to stay in touch with people. So I think it's really important to continually just reach out to people and say hello and continue mm-hmm. to build relationships. And don't give up. So if you lose a relationship, you know, if you lose a proposal, it doesn't mean that they won't hire you again. Don't, it doesn't mean you should never stay in touch with them again. It's just keeping, keeping in touch with them, um, sharing information that you learn about the industry. So I think those two forms um, of speaking and then also focusing on building the love are really critical to developing new relationships. Yeah. And making it, making it genuine. And like you said, um, it is so easy to forget to do that. And it's so easy to get um, discouraged or even worst case scenarios, um, negative or upset when you, when you lose. Yeah. Um, we actually just dealt with it recently. Um, well, it's, it's a part of business anyway, but there was one I, I was feeling pretty bullish on that we were going to win and we lost it to another agency that quite honestly, I, I have inside information on and I know that what they sold is not a legitimate bill of goods. Um, meaning that I don't think they're going to be able to execute on it unless something drastically has changed in the last few months that allowed them to offer those services. But rather than getting upset about it, you know, one of the things I told the team is one, it's a great learning exercise for how we can pitch better, how we can, um, attain new clients better, but two, they're not gone forever Exactly. and we'll maintain a great relationship. And I don't want to wish them failure, but from what I know, I have, I have a feeling they're going to be not very happy, um, so we'll probably hear from them later in the year. Yeah. Uh, and close, you know. That's a really great example. I have another um, similar example, uh, not where a client lost a portada, but they actually had a great client that they loved. And it was a kind of single operation sort of restaurant. Um, I don't want to give away who the client was. Um, sure. Yeah. And they did, the restaurant had plans of being kind of a chain, but they had to launch the first location and it was a product-based business. So they did develop packaging and all the branding and they loved the relationship. They did really well. And then the, the restaurant was launched and they, the, my client, the design firm, kind of left the client alone for about two months because they figured, oh, they have to grow their business, they have mm-hmm. other distractions, and didn't stay in touch with them. Two months. And then she calls the client and they're like, we will never work with you again. And she's like, why? We had a great relationship. And it was because they hadn't stayed in touch during those two months. They're wow. like, you left us. We never heard from you again. And clients need to be nurtured. They need to be stayed in touch with. They need that extra level of attention. I think, and that was a perfect example of having a client and losing it because they didn't mm-hmm. build, the, they didn't continue to build the love. We get, you know, you get distracted by the latest buyer and you have to go on to the next project and you forget the clients you work with in the past. 
So it's always really important to not only not give up on the ones you lose, but not give up on the ones you already have. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to dog the indi- or, you know, our industry too much, um, but I'll dog it a little bit because that's why people are listening is to learn. But, you know, we we deal with a lot of different tactics when it comes to marketing um, and, and the, these three letters, uh, CRM, Customer yeah. Relationship Management. Yeah. And we work with them, yet man, does this industry really suck at it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. We just, we forget what we tell people. <laughs> We're victims know, of our, crazy. you know. <laughs> I know. It's really funny. So I do these leadership retreats where I spend a full day with my clients kind of looking at their current business model and planning for the future. And one of the first questions, well, the second question, usually the first question is, do you do time tracking? The second question I always ask is, what is it? Do you have a CRM tool? And I'm going to mm-hmm. almost always say, they go, what? What's that? Um, it's, it's like literally 90% of my clients don't have a CRM tool. And that is the essential component um, to be able to collate and track all your contacts. So if you don't have one, you must have one. It's a, it's a critical tool without it. You can't, you know, and you can create your own, you can do a spreadsheet, you can do anything, but you have to track everybody you've ever met in your entire life. Right. <laughs> and yeah. And keep them. in contact. Them. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I, in I, legitimate I'm, ways. Oh my God. I, completely. Yeah. Like in authentic ways and not in new business ways. Like I think a lot of people think new business is about cold calling and it's about like they, whenever you say the word new business, they think you're like a car salesman. Right. 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 And so a lot of times I tell people when they think about new business, they have to kind of change their mindset and get those words out of their head. It's not new business. It's not cold calling. You know, it's not even sales. It's relationship building. Mm-hmm. And if you realize mm-hmm. it's relationship building, it kind of softens the approach and it's much more human. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have to legitimately be thinking about like these people and their nuances to it. You don't have to be weird and talk about their kids. I don't think anyone really expects that unless you have that kind of relationship. Um, but at least keep in mind, like what their, what is their day like? Uh, yeah. For instance, you know, with one of my clients who we have more of a brand building relationship with specifically for single unit like concepts, meaning they'll never be multi-unit. Um, what I say to that person is a lot different than what I would say to, you know, the president of a 45 unit chain that we work with because um, their their realities are a bit different. And um, I think it's just about it's about being a good friend. <laughs> yeah. You know, like. You wouldn't talk to your friends in the way that you talk to your clients, um, but yet you expect your clients to somehow build enough uh, trust to give you a lot of money. Uh, exactly. But you don't want to necessarily be too close with them. So I think the friend word, I'm not a fan of the friendship word, but I do think it's being mm-hmm. about a human because sometimes friend, you don't want to, a lot of my clients might be friends with their clients and then that could get tricky because then they lose sort of their negotiating power with them because <laughs> they want to right. always, you know, do lower prices for their friends. So uh, I always recommend just be careful of that word, but I, I completely agree. Um, right. And, and I, maybe this is a good topic for uh, later in the year. I, I might have to come back to this because uh, I, I have a good one that I think will make you laugh. <laughs> oh yeah. There's so many great stories, right? I always have all these great stories. I mean, I, it hit home for me personally, this whole relationship building. Cause I'm, I've been, you know, I really, I'm very involved in the in design industry and have tons of friends and, um, see them at conferences and events and know just a ton of people. Um, and when I, my book got launched, which was in September, it was amazing to me, the support I got because all these people who I've known all my, for a really long time, many who I haven't spoken to in 15 years, but I will see sometimes at conferences every once in a while. And they all came out of the woodwork to support me. And I I realized how much it was authentic and built on the love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I and I, I realized there is that there's this value there's a long term value in these relationships that people don't see. Yeah, th- this is amazing, amazing feedback. Again, I, I think 
anyone listening to this should pick up the book. It's called Brutally Honest. Um, we'll we'll have show notes and links to do so. Uh, Emily is not giving me any kickbacks on this except for the knowledge that's in that book that I already bought. Um, it's it's an amazing resource. Emily, thanks for uh, speaking about making it rain this month. I really appreciate your insights. You're welcome. Thanks for including me. Once again, that was Emily Ruth Cohen, author of Brutally Honest and a consultant to the creative industry. Amazing insights, and we'll hear a lot more from her over the next few months. Up next, we have the final installment from Simon Manship. He is the uh, head global leader of Someone in London with offices all over the world. Let's hear how he tackles new business. Simon, who do you consider someone's ideal client and or project to be? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting one that because um, I think we talk about this a lot in the studio of like, right, who should we go for? You know, who should we talk to? Who would we like to work with? And I think that the question uh, always seems to take us to the same place, that there's not one particular brand, there's not one particular sector that we're really, really interested in. And what we're fascinated in is, is kind of finding the clients that will let us do more than they've asked for. Um, so recently, we were able to work on and rebranding of an area of London called King's Cross, which is traditionally known as a, an area around a train station. And what was brilliant about that project was, yes, there was a visual branding project there, uh, but there was also um, a whole editorial idea that we came up with. There was animations and illustrations and strategy and copywriting and uh, social and a whole lot. And so I think that that turned into a great example of of doing a project that um, pushed us in many directions and made us really think uh, and actually kind of made us uh, nervous about a few things that we weren't um, very comfortable with and uh, that we hadn't done a lot of in the past. And actually it's turned out brilliantly well. And, and I think we look in our portfolio of the projects that we're deeply proud of and whether that's the IAAF Athletics in London or the Olympics or or um, rebranding company like WorldPay. Um, it's every time we stretch ourselves, every time we've pushed, it, it kind of is far more satisfying than simply answering the brief. That's fantastic. Um, <clears throat> I would say this is the question, I think, for everyone out there that's in business, whether it's freelance or building a, a, a multi, um, I use the word unit because of our, our niche industry, but a multi-location agency that's across the world. What has been the most effective methods for getting new clients and work uh, for someone? Well, I think that the, the thing that we, we kind of try and do is that, I mean, it's interesting when you look at a lot of design companies and creative in, um, industries as a whole is how they get work. And they, of course, the, the answer is they'll try anything and everything to get that work because it is very competitive um, and there's a lot of, of, lot of choice out there. Um, I think the, the way we've done this is that we're, we're always very keen to kind of deliver on our promises. Um, and I've heard many a tale of many a design-led company that seems to promise the, the world in, at a pitch or indeed promises the world when they, they just meet the client for the first instance. And then they start to do the very bare minimum as soon as they've won that contract and then they're eventually fired because they've um, let everyone down. And, and that only serves to kind of um, diminish the reputation of the creative industries. And I think it's a terrible thing to do. And, and so we do the opposite. Um, and I think rather than... And kind of making great big promises and claims and finding ourselves unable to deliver on those promises. We're very careful about what we take on. We're very careful about what we um, promise. And then we try very hard to make sure that we not only deliver on those promises, but we kind of over-deliver. 
Um, and so being really honest at the, the pitch stage, um, I think offers an enormous advantage to a client. And I think these days they can see that a mile off, uh, that the results that we uh, talk about uh, are actually kind of more important in many ways than what it looks like. And I think we're very keen on creating work that works rather than work that's simply attractive on the surface level. Mm-hmm. And what, what percentage, um, if you don't mind sharing, what percentage of <clears throat> new clients or new work that comes in the door uh, comes in via a pitch scenario where there would be like a formal RFP, um, agency review scenario, you know, like that whole process versus great relationships that manifest projects as a byproduct? Yeah, I think so. That's a good question. And um, I think the key to, to that is that probably 50-50. I think that a lot of our, our clients are, are you know, either delighted with what they've got and so ask for some more, or um, they um, have done personally very well out of the work and it's made them very famous. And then they've gone on to other places uh, with you know bigger salaries and bigger ambitions. And then they are often ask us back. Um, so there's a relationship side of things, and that's absolutely great. Um, and I think that's kind of half the business. And I think the other half are the more traditional um, approaches that come through and the joys of procurement and uh, the RFP world. And, um, you know, we're very well-versed in, in kind of converting those and talking to those people as well. Um, and I think you need completely different approaches for both, actually. But in England, generally, if a project is over a certain number in terms of a certain fee, most companies are forced to um, send it out for a competitive procurement mm-hmm. pitch. Um, and that's extremely annoying, <laughs> but right. yeah. that is the way the business works. And so you just have to play the game and um, and kind of give people what they need and, and be very matter-of-fact about it, really, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a certain amount of um, process, I think, that goes into the pitch. And I think this is actually really important uh, to discuss, especially when we're talking about making it rain, is... Uh, getting an RFP for us is always a bit exhilarating because, you know, oh, you know, we're on their radar. This is fantastic. Um, you know, especially when you don't expect it. Uh, but how, how do you go about handling a review of the RFP and deciding whether or not someone should actually respond? I assume that you yeah. don't take them all, right? I mean, it's, it's kind no, of no, no, no. Yeah, it's a very good point. So I think that I can't remember who did it. There was a brilliant um, design book a few years ago, and um, they had this thing uh, where they called it the Tree of Hope, and they had this little bonsai tree, mm-hmm. and they would post, uh, they put little post-it notes on the leaves of the tree every time a new client came in for a phone call or an RFP, and they they realised that actually majority of those um, projects remain on the tree of hope. They never happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and I think that, that that's one thing to very much bear in mind is that most of this stuff and often doesn't happen. So you have to be quite careful about that. Um, but uh, I think that the, the, the way we handle it is um, we just see whether the scope of the project matches with the budget. If, it, if that's the case and it does work well, then you can start the conversation. But I think we're, we're unafraid to kind of say to someone, well, I'm sorry, for the, for the sort of things that you're after here, you need to look at doubling or tripling or quadrupling your budget. And if that's the case, terrific, we can carry on the conversation. If not, probably not for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really funny. There's a, a local uh, brewery <laughs> here in Atlanta, and uh, I got, you know, I received an, an RFP for them, and what they wanted to do was engage in a full rebrand, uh, including I think they had uh, maybe up to eight SKUs in, in their in their beer right. lineup. Yeah. Um, full rebranding, full website design, you know, code launch, all that stuff. I mean, I'm talking about soup to nuts and beyond, 
and and their budget was I think they had listed as they wouldn't like to spend any more than ten grand. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and I was like, well, I'm like, what can I, can I be on the planet that you're on? Cause it sounds wonderful. Um, yeah, you know. And, and you know what? The real truth is that they probably will be um, someone out there who will take it on and it'll, they'll do it as a love job and they'll do it because they adore the brewery and they'll do it because they're a one man band and that's fine. Yeah. And off they go. And good, very best of luck to them. And, you know, I think we've all been there, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't do, um, you any favors as a company if you take on these projects that um, essentially you're going to lose money on because ultimately the you'll have to stop eventually or you'll do a substandard job because you won't have a sufficient budget to put enough manpower or hours on it and again it only serves to diminish the reputation of the creative industries which is a, a dangerous game for the creatives to be playing and um, so I think that yeah it's much much smarter to talk to the client at the very beginning in the friendliest of terms and educate, you know, them and say to them, look, you know, this is how we keep the lights on. These are the sort of fees that we need to charge. We're not the cheapest. We're not the most expensive, but we're going to offer you a proven um, result. You know, that I think the other thing to bear in mind at this stage is that commissioning creativity is a terrifying thing. If you're not a creative, if you're an accountant, for example, and you're trying very hard to uh, create a new brand of accountancy firm, um, you have no idea what you're going to get at the end of spending this money. And therefore, you're going to try and spend as little as possible to mitigate the risk. And if you can educate that person and say, do not worry, we have done this before, we are going to deliver on time, on budget, and we're going to create something that's going to give you a competitive advantage against your, uh, in your sector. And that's much more reassuring and much easier to understand than simply saying no or, um, or laughing them out of the room, which is tempting, um, or absolutely worse of all, saying yes and trying to do it uh, on the cheap and at speed. So, yeah, I think the, the relationship you have and the honesty that you have with your clients is a massive competitive marketing advantage as well as a really good way of running a business. Yeah, and, and you kind of uh, graze the surface on it, but we <clears throat> we are all in this together. And, and the the method in which we engage with clients, um, the professionalism that we bring to the table only serves to uplift the industry as a whole um, and people's perceptions of it. And so although taking that $10,000 massive rebrand project may be a labor of love for you, you really have done a little bit of disservice to every other creative person and agency out there. Just a little bit because yeah, you've perpetuated a, a misconception that our work isn't that valuable. Right, exactly. And I think also that, that there are there are strata through the design industry that suit different types of projects. So a huge global rebrand is definitely not possible to be done by a one-man band. It's just there's too much going on and you, it's too difficult and too complex to be done by one person. And whereas a kind of labour of love um, would be lost on a big global branding company. So I think that actually by saying no to a project um, sometimes means that it can find a better home elsewhere. And there's enough work out there for everyone. So it's Absolutely. kind of a confidence you know, confidence behind that is useful. Yeah, I have a, a saying, you know, especially when we have new creatives starting, that if while here at Vigor, if you if something goes out the door and you look at that and say, that's my work, we've done something wrong um, because there is so much strength in having multiple brains working together. The, the, pro, like the sum of those parts will always create something more profound and I think something um, diverse and not watered down, uh, whereas you know, one, one brain can only output the experiences and thoughts and angles from that particular brain. And it's not to knock freelancers or one person shops. It's just 
I, I make that very clear that if you're putting us up against uh, a one person shop or a freelancer, then we'll, we'll probably have to respectfully decline the opportunity. Um, but let's have a conversation about it because here's why I think you shouldn't be doing that. Um, yeah, yeah, totally agree. And I, I think you're right that the kind of the days of the, the one man band I feel, feel are, are kind of um, li- very limiting for a lot of organizations now because of the, the sheer number of channels they need to communicate on. So it's, it's a rare a rare person that can kind of bridge the gap between creating an animation one minute, um, a social media campaign the next, and some really smart copywriting uh, in, in kind of uh, conjunction with some logo design, for example. You just can't do all of that stuff, really. Um, I mean, we're lucky enough to, to have some people here that are incredibly um, multi-talented, but even they hold their hands up at the point. And at some point of the project, they go, I can't do that. And, and that's when you need to collaborate. And collaboration is a good thing. you know. And it's, I think it's only getting more and more prevalent in, this, in the kind of operating systems that we're creating now. Yeah, especially true collaboration. I think a lot of people say that word, but they don't quite understand the weight and and how that actually looks uh you know collaboration i think it's uh it's going back to what we talked about in march it's being humble enough to realize that no one's out to um steal your idea or somehow (laughs) negatively uh, impact you it's more no like working together you're gonna have to capitulate on some stuff or let some things go that you thought was solid but actually isn't and listen to each other yeah. and you know collaboration is a beautiful thing when it's happening um but i, I feel like it's yeah. uh it can sometimes be a rare a rare beast um in some yeah, true. I, I, I think it's just that really that when you're doing a project that demands um collaboration it's generally an indication that that's going to be an exciting project if you can do it all yourself then actually you probably haven't pushed yourself far enough and pushed your project far enough or indeed your client far enough so actually yeah we're not really happy until we're collaborating i suppose that's great so if there was one um tactic that you had to focus all of someone's energy on when it comes to uh generating new business or new opportunities what would it be yeah so i mean uh, cracking question um i think that actually the thing that uh is most interesting uh, to us at the moment is um, the coming together of brand strategy, brand execution, and digital brand operations. I think that whoever, and I don't think anyone's cracked that yet, um, and it definitely um, seems to be the hottest topic where you have the kind of um, brilliant minds who are doing amazing things in quite a pure digital mindset, uh, and you have the amazing minds that are doing beautiful things in a pure creative mindset, and kind of brand marketing kind of mindset. Um, but it's a rare time when you bring all of those things together. And when that does happen, uh, on rare occurrences, you end up with kind of instant classics that not only win all the awards, but they create huge marketing advantages for the uh, brands and people and organizations that have commissioned that work. And I think that's the kind of golden fleece at the moment. That's the, the big ticket challenge mm-hmm. is how do you somehow connect brilliant thinking from a business strategy point of view alongside some incredibly beautiful executions that work across digital platforms as well as they would anywhere else. In fact, they're probably you know, more native to digital platforms. And the few projects that we've been lucky enough to try and join those three streams up and it's been successful have really, really rocked. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the most exciting topic. And, and largely because, actually, with digital work, you have a data and you have analytics. And it's a kind of very brave marketing director who... Um, refuses to use that work because you can prove what's working and you can prove what's not. And that's forever been the challenge of um, branding and creative 
uh, industries is how do I know uh, which half of my budget is working here? Um, and people don't, or they didn't rather. Um, and so now they're starting to be able to uh, kind of attribute value to specific activities through the analytics that they're gaining from the uh, from the work and, and the work that's online. So I think that there's a, a kind of disproportionate amount of respect and love and concern towards that digital side of things, and there's an in danger of starting to ignore uh, the more lateral, flair-based thinking uh, that can really, really help differentiate on a much bigger scale. So bringing those two things together think things is, is probably the most exciting challenge that we face at the moment yeah that's that's re- i mean really good insight and we talk about that a lot i mean when when you get to you know lockstep with all the aspects that are building a brand's uh narrative and uh, you know from marketing to digital to you know tactics to experiential all of it it's uh it's absolutely beautiful and i think that's one of the things that make us really excited uh and really in love with the restaurant or beverage world is because it, it introduces a couple more layers that you don't really get in other industries, for instance. So um, everywhere else we can, we can control visual, we can control aural, you know, like what, what you're hearing and, and what that does. Uh, we can even affect touch in a lot of ways, um, you know, like driving that new car, that sound of the engine revving, the, the heartbeat, you know, increases. Yeah. That's wonderful, but you don't get to eat it. Right, <laughs> you know, and so yeah. it's like that yeah. that taste level I think is so uh, so so amazing. I think that's one of the things maybe we're just control freaks that we absolutely love about that world. Um, well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I think that they, there's an interesting thing that um, the um, I think it was the CMO of Taco Bell said that um, uh, if you're a control freak, you're not going to like the future because uh, the brands that we are working with and creating or co-creating now are not going to be owned by the people in the marketing director's room and they're not going to be actually owned by the people in HQ. They're going to be owned by the customer. And I think that the more we're learning about this stuff, the more we're realizing that we're not creating uh, rules for brands to follow. We're creating tools for them to use. And the more we can do that, the better. And with restaurants, for example, uh, that we've done a fair amount of here in London, you know, there's so many contact points there. It's very, very hard to lay down the law and control all of them in very in great detail. So actually the, the ones that have worked particularly well for us are where we've created kind of an operating system of brand, which has got lots of things to choose from. And then the experts that are, whether they're front of house or whether they're the waiters or the drink staff or the marketing guys, they choose the tools that best suit them and do uh, do great work with them. And so I think that, you know, we, we're lucky enough to be working across many different sectors. Uh, someone, whether it's museums or finance or charities or governments even mm-hmm. and all of those projects are connected by a single approach of developing kind of a world of choices for a brand rather than a series of kind of restrictions uh, and that's that seems to be the interesting thing now that the control freaks seem to be failing uh, <laughs> and uh, kind of finding great great challenges ahead but which you can't really um you can't really address without relaxing the rules a bit it's true. It's fantastic. Well, thank you again uh, for sharing your insights and, and knowledge with us. Uh, it's been fantastic. And hopefully, you know, listeners, you guys can take some great uh, knowledge and put it into practice and uh, consider some of the things that Simon has brought uh, to the table today. It's amazing. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Awesome. So we'll give a few seconds. Um, and if you want to do a quick uh, outro, um, and, and then you can like list off website and um, social handles. Uh, where the people can follow someone that would be fantastic and then i can copy and paste it throughout so just wait three seconds and go right into it 
Thanks very much for listening. If you'd like to find out more about someone, we are someoneinlondon.com and you'll find us on Twitter at someonetweets. Well, that about wraps up the show for this month, uh, April 2019, in case you didn't pick it up a million and one times I've said it. I really hope you gained a lot of insights and ideas from these three amazing guests uh, from all walks of life, all across the world, on how you can make it rain for your business. Until next month, have fun, keep designing, and stay hungry. Stay hungry.